Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. I'm here today during the apocalypse with my co-host, Dr. Millicent Ravello. Millicent, how are you doing? I'm still here. I know, we're still here. We're still here. Yeah, and we're expected to be here, which is good. Yes. So I think today what we should do is talk about what we're doing while we're still here and everything is on total like shutdown, lockdown, you know, hold your breath for the next unknown amount of time. So for reference, we are now in the first week of true shutdown here in Beverly Hills and Los Angeles. So on Monday was the first day that LAUSD shut down all of its schools, although some of the private schools have been shut down earlier. And we've had some changes here in Beverly Hills as well. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been pretty interesting. I mean, the amount of uh, changes is striking because it's like almost... Every 12 hours, something new something is coming Something changes. Out. I know. So we are recording this three days after our last coronavirus podcast, and the situation has changed. I don't even know how many times since then, and I'm sure between now and when this podcast is produced and released in a couple of days, the situation will have changed yet again. Yeah. So the, the things that are striking to me is that they've cut off elective surgical procedures in all of Beverly Hills. Right. So Beverly Hills came out, what, 24 hours ago and said they were closing all retail stores. Specifically, they said, including Rodeo Drive. And they, <laughs> they, 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 they made that very specific. By the way. That includes <laughs> Rodeo Drive, which, by the way, I was walking past on my way over here. And it is creepy and eerie to see that street just empty. It's daylight. The storefronts are dark. Like, it's very weird. It's very odd. But anyways, storefronts are shut down, uh, medical spas, salons, and pertinent to us, elective surgical facilities. Yes. So they said no elective procedures, uh, only if it's medically necessary. So if somebody's having, you know, if it's breast cancer or if there's, you know, in our case, if there's an infection or something, we can take care of it. Um, timed procedures, for instance, our forehead flap will need to be divided right. you know, coming up. So there are things that are definitely going to get done. But for the most part, they said we need you to not be taxing the supply chain. Basically, they, they want the city shut down and they are trying to really limit exposure. And the way that they're doing that, they're saying, well, if the stores are shut down and the medical offices are shut down, then people won't be coming in and they'll be more likely to stay home. And it's an easier way to contain people because if there's nowhere to go and nothing to do, well, then there's a higher chance they'll stay home. Yeah. I mean, the whole purpose is to try to reduce the number of cases that are going to, number of people that are going to get infected, number of people that are going to die from this. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if that's going to be successful. I think that it's definitely going to help slow the spread of disease for sure. Yes. I, I mean, there's no doubt in my well, mind sure. that it is definitely going to slow down, you know, the number of people that are exposed. Will it ultimately slow down the number of people that actually get it? Or will, you know, they say flatten the curve. Will the area under the curve still be the same? I don't know. I I don't know if we are necessarily going to be able to prevent the rise of cases. I think that's going to be a steady thing for quite some time. I don't think that's going to be done in two weeks. Like everyone's saying schools are shut down for two weeks. Beverly Hills is shut down for two weeks. I don't think in two weeks we're going to see a dramatic drop off in cases. But what I think it does do is buys time 
for people to get ready, yes. for individuals to sort of assess what they will need going forward should this be prolonged. And it gives hospitals and administrations and um, you know doctors and scientists time to really sort of figure out what can be done you know, should we have a massive influx of disease? Absolutely. And some of the things that we're doing and that I'm doing just in terms of wellness during this time, first of all, everybody's bought up so much food. I think when this is over, we are going to have a run on liposuction like it's we've so never seen. True. How fat is everybody going to get? Everyone's going to be so fat. So number one, we have these like <laughs> stockpiles of like, I don't know, just straight carbs in the house from pasta to popcorn and chips and then all the um here in los angeles all the gyms and all of the fitness studios are shut down they're closed all you're doing is sitting at home eating your carbohydrates not exercising binge watching netflix i mean in some ways it's going to be good for us when all this is said and done (laughs) because start working out everybody find a home routine you got to do something do the youtube the youtube and actually a lot of the gyms and fitness studios are offering you know, web streaming and, and live classes through Zoom and things like that. So it is possible. It just seems to take a little bit more motivation to exercise in your living room than to like put on a cute yoga outfit and, and go to a studio. Um, I've never put on a cute <laughs> yoga outfit, so that's not going to happen. But at the same time, I was thinking that there could be like the TP workout challenge. Ooh. So I've, I'm thinking that you get a like a four pack of toilet paper mm-hmm. and then do... Which is hard to come by. I know, but just to, to show that you've, you've found the way. Uh, okay. Because okay. everybody has some toilet paper. Okay. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they've got some. So Or just even use a roll. Juggle some rolls or something or use them as barbells. But like whatever you want to do... I would do like a TP workout and like do like box lifts with a, with a four pack of Charmin, you know, something like that. And like, yeah. let's have some fun with it. But yeah. everybody's got to find a way. And if you don't have TP, maybe you want to use like a can of like green beans, right, right, you know, right. something where you're going to show like I'm at home, this is what I'm doing. And then like, I'm going to work out. I'm going to do something to get my blood pumping and burn off the Twinkies that you never, ever buy. But for some reason, in the apocalypse, the Twinkie has Twinkies. become the food of choice. So, I mean, I think, you know, there are people, you know, and I don't want to downplay it. There are people that are getting sick as all get out. This is a very bad virus. I am sure that like a bunch of our colleagues who we've talked about have had it. Yeah. And they were really, really sick with respiratory issues, down for the count, on antibiotics, coughing their brains out. And it's not pleasant, you know, and, and this is the problem is that, you know, if you're 30 years old or 40 years old or 50 years old, even 60 years old, you're going to do okay with this virus if you have symptoms at all, because many right. people do not. It's when they get to their 70 years and 80 years that the, the mortality with this virus goes through the roof. Which is what we've been saying, and that's sort of the message we've been putting out there. There have been a few kinks in that theory. I know that today they just came out you know, with some press releases and announcements that they are seeing young people in Italy and Europe that have this very severe disease as well that we're typically seeing in the older people. Uh, but the numbers are very, very small. So I don't know that we can necessarily extrapolate that that's going to apply to large amounts of young people. We don't know. Um, we certainly are seeing, unfortunately, severe disease in young people who are on the front lines of healthcare in some of these foreign countries. Definitely. Italy, Iran, China, for sure. So that is a little concerning that maybe there is some concept that 
chronic exposure, low-level exposure to very sick patients may put you at higher risk, or maybe they are just overworked and their immune systems are compromised. But it's certainly there are certainly a lot more high numbers in healthcare workers. That is for sure. Yeah, of all ages, of course, because they're getting exposed. Yeah, you know, and and there's only so much uh, that. You know, and I, I give them props for getting in there and, and yeah, making it happen sure. because, uh, you know, we don't have COVID-19 patients coming in, as far as we know, to to the plastic surgery clinics. Right. But, you know, the, these people that are in the emergency rooms and in the ICUs are definitely getting exposed. This they're is seeing a, the sickest of the sick patients. Yeah. I mean, we may have asymptomatic ones in our, in our waiting rooms and we just don't know it. But if someone is sick enough to present to the emergency room, they either have a strain that is particularly virulent or strong or they are just particularly bad. So yeah, the frontline people are definitely seeing the higher levels of of this disease, and I think there probably are spectrums. Yeah, and it's a, a wonder if there's a dose dependency. Like, do you get right. a if you just keep getting bombed with the right. virus, does that make it worse? Or you're just at a higher chance of getting that bad strain. Like, I think part of Italy is that they got a particularly bad strain that they are passing amongst themselves. Like I can't right. otherwise explain their numbers to the degree that they are. So maybe there are some strains that some individuals get that are particularly bad, and you're just increasing your chances of getting that if you are on the front lines. Yeah, and this is my year as the president of the Rhinoplasty Society, and part of that was I was going to be in Bergamo, Italy. Yes, <laughs> We both we were, were both going to be in Bergamo so literally next week. The biggest rhinoplasty <laughs> conference was supposed to be there next week, and and it's been moved to February of next year. Um, but Bergamo has taken a shellacking from this virus. Yeah, Bergamo, that's 45 minutes out of Milan. That's the heart of northern Italy. That's the it's spot. northeast of Italy. Yeah. My friend has told me that it is cleaning out. I mean, literally just these old folks get it and then they're dead Mm -hmm. and it is unstoppable and it is, there's nothing that can be done for them. It is like the Spanish flu. I mean, that, that was when in, if you read these again, read the, the accounts of what happened in 1918 with the Spanish flu, people would get it in the morning and they were dead by night. And this is very different because it takes three or four days, but it's still the, the inevitable for these 80 year old and up people is is unfortunately really destructive. Yeah, so that sort of I mean it sort of buys into the whole theory that that's just a particularly bad strain over yeah. there. So I think that there's a lot we don't know. We sort of touched on it earlier. The children aren't getting it or they're not symptomatic from it. And there's some theory that it has to do with their immune systems. Either the immune systems are so, or not so, but not quite mature enough yet. And maybe that has some effect or the other thought is that they are constantly bombarded by coronavirus and the common cold that they, they sure just are. you know they have immunity to, to just about anything but it's i mean i find that very fascinating that the children are not getting sick and i just think there's a lot to learn about this virus that we just don't know yeah i mean we all we can tell you is you got to stay healthy yourself. So keep your immune system bolstered. The way that I think about that is I think about lots of fluids. I think about zinc. I love zinc, <laughs> even though it makes me nauseous every time I take one of those pills. But zinc and viruses are not friends. And anytime I feel like a flu thing going on, I take 50 milligrams of zinc in the morning, 50 at night. I do want to barf. I will say that. <laughs> that stuff is just nasty oh, to eat. Yeah. But boy, 
I, I think it really like keeps stuff away. I and think there is something to that. Definitely. Um, well, it's the zinc finger proteins. You know, the zinc is the cofactor for a lot of the synthetic proteins that, that your T cells, B cells and, and your antibodies work on. So you you need those. Uh, it literally bolsters your immune system. It, it, all it the, is. It's yeah. Yeah. It's busy making you the building blocks right. to kick some ass right. in the immune, immuno, you know, competent way of the word. Um, but the, the other thing to do is make sure you work out. Working out does stimulate your immune system Working out for is sure. Great for the immune system. And I think of anything, you know, if you're home and you're social distancing and you're working from home, you know, sort of the one thing that I've noticed, I mean, I'm still going to work, I'm still seeing patients, but my load is definitely a little bit lighter than it usually is, is that I'm getting to sleep a little bit more, which is only a good thing. So if you're taking these two weeks and the plan maybe is to go back into the world in two weeks, take these two weeks to really get your sleep. Because when you go out there in two weeks, the coronavirus is still going to be there and your immune system needs to be able to fight it because you're still going to potentially probably be exposed to it so yeah, sleep you need is to be definitely a weapon in your best health and if that means you know taking your airborne or your vitamin c your zinc and working out sleeping really focusing on taking care of yourself and trying to not worry and stress out which That's is easy. easier said than done don't even worry <laughs> don't worry about because that because they shut down the world <laughs> all the time I mean, the world is shut down. It's literally Dr. shut Ravella. down. I know. Like, and I'm not using that word literally like I would usually use it. It literally is shut down. Like they are shutting down the buildings around us. It's crazy. <laughs> literally. I know. It's crazy. I mean, the, uh, you know, I know everybody who works for me is very ne- nervous that the, you know, the patients are, you know, concerned and, you know, and that's all normal. You know, it's, it, it's very normal. And it's, you know, everyone has ideas on how to manage this and and the reason there's so many ideas is because this is a novel thing like in our day and age we don't know how to treat this and i you know give some credit to the politicians who are trying to figure it out on the fly so everyone has ideas on the fly right like who knows but i i do feel that you cannot shut an economy a world economy a global economy a local economy down you know I just, I don't think that's the right way of handling this. I don't know what the right way is. And I think certainly containment and quarantine for a short period of time is worth it. But I don't know how that's worth it for a long period of time. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that at the cost of plummeting our economy. Well, it's not, and it's not the money part that's the problem. It's that the money goes away and then people start getting sick. (laughs) So you think that people are having a problem with this virus. Why do you see what comes from the poverty that gets induced from the people who live paycheck to paycheck, which is 75% of the population? And that's not nothing. That is a huge factor in how you're addressing this. Like there are definitely risks and benefits that have to be weighed and pros and cons on the whole spectrum. It's not just about health and protecting and containing. It's about the large picture. Yeah. We need money. It, that, is a, that is a plain as fact day. We need money to make this world go round. That's how, well, that's how we've chosen to make it go round. Well, this particular world. Right. If you're going to go to a, you know, utopian society where everybody gets everything for free and it's produced, you know, you go to work and we make things happen and it's all going to be given to you. Well, that's different, but that's not the way that this works here. Yeah. So, and again, I don't want to, you know, get into the, you know, argument of, 
you know, how our society should be structured, but this society is structured this way and some hard decisions have to be made. I, and I don't want to, you know, scare anybody, but you know, nobody in the government has said anything about, you know, people who are at risk should have their DNR orders at in, in place, whether it's it's positive, negative, or whatever you want to do with it. But that is, you should have an advanced directive. So when you show up at the hospital and you're sick as hell and you're 87 years old and you're on multiple medications that they don't torture you first for five days before shutting off the machines. A thousand percent. You know, we, we don't, this is not the forum. You know, we don't talk about end of life care much at all very well in this country. But I do think it's an interesting no, they don't. statistic that there is a higher percentage of doctors that die at home as opposed to the average population that dies in hospitals because we see how we know. end of life happens in a hospital and it is not the way any of us would want to go. Nope. And this podcast is getting very morbid all of a sudden. So no, I think, <laughs> let's I think, not, let's uh, not go there. I think, I think it's getting very honest. And I think that that's yeah. really important because, you know, the truth is, is that th- these things need to be addressed. I mean, whether you're yeah. going in for, you know, knee surgery or, you know, you know that there's a chance that you could wind up sitting in the emergency room with, you know, COVID-19 in the next two months. Yeah. You should have an advanced directive. I have an advanced directive, you know, and so and it's it, very just clear. For, by definition, an advanced directive is a form or a piece of paper that states very clearly what you want to happen to you should you be unable to communicate yourself. And it means that should you come in, in a, after a stroke or a heart attack and you are not able to voice your decisions, number one, who's able to voice them for you, family member, loved one, friend, number two, what you do and do not want to have done for you. That's right. And that could be, and you can have the choice. You can choose how, you can choose your menu. You know, and it can be, I don't want to be intubated. I don't want to have a tube down my throat. I don't want chest compressions. I don't want, you know. Whatever. Feeding tubes. You can put in there whatever you want, but it is very important that you at least have something on record. Otherwise, no matter how have to old do you are. No That's matter right. how old you are. You don't have to be old totally. to have that written up. Yes. Yeah, it's also like, you know, my mom who died with no will, you know, that was, that was very helpful. I've been telling her, I was like, mom, you know, you breast cancer, you should make sure you have a will. Oh, you know, I'll just figure it out. And like, literally like no will. So luckily it was all yeah. sort of hashed out, but yeah. like, it was just like, you have to recognize, I, you know, in the case this is news to anybody, you don't get to live forever. You know, it's like you, you will at some point hit the, you know, the stopping point of this life. And so, I think right now, those are things that should be talked about. If they really think that, you know, the COVID-19 disease is going to, you know, take out, you know, some percentage of, of people that are, you know, very much at risk, then that should be talked it's about. A lo- it's a very logical conversation to have following that. But it can also, it's part of the greater good thing that we're talking about. It's like, okay, we're going to shut down the economy. And now we know that because of that, the, that there's a, of the chronic diabetics aren't going to have money to get their insulin and get their, and there's going to be, you know, 45 people per large city that are going to wind up in diabetic comas in the ICU also because we aren't able to get anybody money. So we know that the people who have COPD aren't going to be able to get their oxygen. So we're going to lose, you know, 20% of the emphysema population of this country because the economy shut down. We are going to lose this many people who have wounds on their legs who can't get, you know, like, they need to do the math in terms of, okay, we think that this virus is going to take out, you know, the flu takes out sixty to 70,000 in a year. We think this thing is going to do double to triple that. 
what else are we going to give up by completely demolishing the economy? So that's where nobody's looking at the mathematics of what this actually is. Because maybe it's like, you know what? Let the virus run the course. Wasn't popular in England. No, they reversed course on that real quick. <laughs> they did because it wasn't popular. It was not po- no one wants to hear. No one wants to hear that. But nobody wants to know that that might be the right thing to do, as we alluded to in our last podcast. That maybe it, maybe it's just that, you know. And uh, you know, I and I don't. I'm not an immunologist, but maybe we need to be exposed to this coronavirus so that the next thing isn't so bad to us. You know, maybe by not having everybody get you know, through the quote unquote flu season of this coronavirus, we're going to wind up with less immunity. And then the next one's going to come and it's going to be like, um, yeah, you get this one in the morning, you die at night and half the country's finished. And by the way, we don't have enough ventilators or anything to stop this one. So there's always those things in my, the back of my mind that make me, you know, and, and I'm not saying to do that. I'm just saying like, you should think it through, make good decisions and I'm not in the government, you're not either, and we, we're just, you know, two plastic surgeons trying to make sense of what we see, yeah. you know, and wondering if, you know, our, our offices are going to become, you know, places to take care of COVID-19 patients, you know, who knows. But uh, we're, we're on board. We want people to do well. We want people to be well at home. We do think that you got you, you to gotta take the panic down a, a, a lot because I think panic actually reduces your immune response. It does. It raises your stress levels. It raises your cortisol, cortisol levels. Cortisol goes through the roof. All things we know are not good for your overall health and immune system. So again, easier said than done, but you got to take care of yourselves. You got to take care of those around you. You know, social distancing and isolation has been proven to be very detrimental to people's sense of well-being and anxiety levels. So take care of yourself. Take care of other people around you. Look out for those that may be struggling a bit. Yeah, I mean, I guess when it's all over, we're going to have a bunch of uh, people who who made it through. They're going to be very fat and they're going to have really clean butts because <laughs> they got a lot of toilet paper. Because there is not any toilet like paper to be found. Perfect patient. I mean, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Man, you know, you gained a lot of weight, but God, that is a one clean butt you got there. That is good work. Kudos to you. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I guess that's that's kind of what you have to do. You have to figure it out for yourself. But I do think that there has to be an active approach to staying healthy. Agreed. You cannot, Agreed. you can't just like let it ride. You got to say, today, this is my plan. I'm getting up today and I am going to take a run. I'm going to eat well. I'm not going to eat the Twinkies. I'm going to, you know, do some sit-ups today in the morning. Then I'm going to do some, you know, push-ups at night. I'm going to run three or four miles. And I'm going to get through this this day, one day at a time. And and I think that's what our government's doing too. I mean, those guys look like they are, I, I mean, the the president and his whole team, they, they look like they've they been through the ringer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, they are, they're working their, their, they are working their, butts off for this too i mean and they're definitely eating twinkies they are thousand percent i mean if i can compare at all to my 30-hour calls in residency eating twinkies is what gets you through (laughs) i guess so i mean maybe you need to but i i mean i think that they they are a stressed out bunch yeah i feel for them they they are it's not easy no they're working hard congress is working hard you know all the state local states i mean garcetti is up there every night talking about it i think he's doing a really good job and, you know, this is the course we've chosen, so we have to go with it, and, and there's no... Uh, there's no real book to this. No, you know, and, and I, I don't think, like, you know, extending this curfew will work. And, I, and you know, it was Fauci that said that. He kind of, he's the guy that I go to, and he said, look, you know, four to eight weeks is going to die down, it's going to be a different day. 
But I got to tell you, like March third, we're staying in till March thirty first, and I think he did that because it's like if everybody can stay put and not spread it around for two weeks, then it will reduce the exposure tremendously. Mm-hmm. But going beyond that probably doesn't have an effect. You know, that's that's where I I and I think he really knows that. Right. Like he's very clear. Like we're going to March thirty first. We're still going to be dealing with this problem. But the the kind of like shutdown is going till then, and and I'm I think next week is be a really tough week. Well, I'm I'm hoping that's the case. I'm hoping that's how it is. I have moved all my surgeries to April first, so I'm really. I know we have a case April first. <laughs> we better be able to operate. Um, but again, this is a constantly evolving situation, so we are sort of muddling through it with the rest of the country and the world. And we're doing the best we can. We're going to look for your videos of your uh, TP coronavirus. Your TP challenge. The, t- the, the TP, TP challenge. challenge. I mean, if you got, first of all, that's really, I, I'm just realizing that may be really hard to find any toilet paper. Well, that's the challenge. That is the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast coming to you from the 90210. The Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast is brought to you by Rock Spa. This is MediSpa, located both in Beverly Hills and Newport Beach, providing services such as Botox, fillers, lasers, and all therapy, as well as hydrofacials and all the aesthetic products you could possibly need. It's run by the medical director, me, Dr. Jay Calvert. Rock Spa Beverly Hills is located at 120 South Spalding Drive in Suite 340, Beverly Hills, 90212. The phone number there is 310-777-0496. And Roxbaugh Newport Beach is located at 1617 West Cliff Drive, Newport Beach, California, 92660. The phone number there is 949-644-1111. You can go to their respective websites, RoxbaughNewportBeach.com or RoxbaughBeverlyHills.com. Rockspa was created to help my patients maintain their aesthetic beauty in between whatever operations they have throughout their lives. It's something that allows patients to come in, get their facials, skin treatments, take care of all the Botox fillers and lasers that they need to keep up their beauty. And if they've invested in any of the aesthetic operations I perform, it's the way to maintain those operations. If you mention this podcast you will get the member's pricing for your hydrofacial. The Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast is the way that Dr. Ravello and I talk about the issues that are important to us in plastic surgery, but there's nothing better than getting to take care of our patients and do plastic surgery. Our practices are located in Beverly Hills, and I also have a satellite office in Newport Beach. You can learn about my practice at drcalvert.com And you can reach my office by calling 310-777-8800. And that will get you an appointment either in Beverly Hills or at the Newport Beach office. My practice is located in Beverly Hills. Our office phone number is 310-954-1355. You can also contact us directly through the website, which is rovelloplasticsurgery.com. We look forward to seeing you in the office for some aesthetic tune-ups.